When the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum opens next month, it's expected to draw not only thousands of tourists, but the biggest acts that bluegrass music has to offer. We're going to talk to the museum's director, Chris Joslin, to find out what can we expect from the long-awaited museum. Stay with us. This is Inquire. For the Mystery Inquirer, I'm Don Wilkins, and joining me this week is Chris Joslin, the Executive Director of the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum. Joslin on the banjo. So not only is he the executive director of the new museum, but he also is a pretty darn good banjo player. And I sat down with Chris last week to talk to him about the museum and about himself, too, and how he became the director uh, of the museum. And one of the unique facets of the museum will be its two theaters, one an outdoor and one an indoor theater. And so he gave me a sneak peek and what this museum is going to do for this community. What all went into this theater? Yeah, quite a bit actually. So it's 450 seats, but uh, the first four rows are removable. So there are some, there's some flexibility with how you put the space together. But the beauty about this room is that it's capability. So it's really a sound stage. So the, um, we have not only a state-of-the-art audio package, I mean, we could, we could accommodate just about anything in here from a live music standpoint. But we have a full uh, video package going into this room as well, which means you know, we'll have multiple cameras, all the production we need to capture both audio and video. So you know, we could take television shows here, webcast, capture re, uh, rebroadcast for public television or anything else. Um, it's also a full-fledged movie house, so we can show films, have a state-of-the-art um, projector system as well. So, yeah, this is definitely going to be the heartbeat of the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum and with the capability engineered into this thing. Um, possibilities are really, capability is almost limitless, really. Um, and so this, this theater is going to be, I guess you're... I know you, you have the outside little amphitheater, mm -hmm. right? So how, yeah. will, will these two kind of work in conjunction together some way sometimes? Uh, you might have something inside, maybe something outside, or will it be one or the other? Yeah, it's probably going to be one or the other just because of the sound. You know, it's going to bleed uh, through the wall based on the size of concerts we'll do, but it really is phenomenal. Again, you know, this live music is going to hopefully energize everything we do. So to be able to have an indoor, um, ticketed events with seats, um, but then to be able to do music outside in sort of a festival kind of um, configuration and uh, structure, 
I mean, that's kind of what we do best, you know. So to be able to, to bring some of that romp um, know-how and capability here yeah. on this outdoor stage and to have these things really kind of integrated is just really a dream come true for us. So will you be having concerts here weekly, monthly? Well, we'll see. We're going to scale it up. I, you know, my vision, I'd love to see 60, 70 ticketed events a year in this room. Um, and we're going to start with... Um, with weekly concerts, focusing primarily on Saturday night, but uh, but then we're going to slowly branch out from there and just test the market, you know, and see what um, see what kind of audience we can build. It's it's going to be certainly bluegrass centric, but we're going to step out into some related genres. Probably everything's going to be related, even even if it's distantly. So think romp lineup. You know how it's diverse but everything really does sort of funnel into this broader category of roots music and that's kind of what we're gonna that's gonna be our strategy here yeah. i like where we've landed in terms of the size of the room and the capability of the room i think it landed just where it needs to be well, well i think mm -hmm. too what people will appreciate you know the intimacy mm -hmm. of, of something like this because you know, you, you go to, you know, these large arenas, you know, you've mm. been to them and, and you're so removed <laughs> from what's going right. on. So you're right, I don't think there's going to be a bad seat in the house visually or sonically. You know, I think it's all going to be good. Of course, the challenge is, um, you know, you, you don't have to be a mathematician to start doing the math on you know, certain artists, you know, they have a value in the marketplace and and uh, you have so many seats, so you, you do the math problem and that kind of dictates the ticket price. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a challenge, but again, that's a challenge. That's a challenge everywhere. If you go, if you go see live music, whether it's Nashville, Louisville, Lexington, Indianapolis, anywhere, I mean, um, if, it, if, it's, if it's an artist people are excited about and want to come see, um, the ticket price is not going to be a barrier and so that's kind of our strategy here. What did you guys add here that you didn't have at your former location? Hmm, well it's just a new ball game really from soup to nuts here you know because of uh, the sheer size of the building, the indoor-outdoor performance spaces, twice the exhibit space, so we're in the core exhibit area here on the first floor and essentially what we're doing with the core exhibit area is telling the story of bluegrass. We're starting from the sources of bluegrass because really bluegrass is made up of a lot of influences, certainly Scotch-Irish fiddle music and uh, early banjo music, um, but also Tim Pan Alley, early jazz, early country music like Jimmy Rogers and everything coming out of the Bristol Sessions. Um, gospel music, black blues music from Arnold Schultz and other musicians in this area, uh, African-American musicians. So we start by basically answering the question, what, what influenced people like Bill Monroe that kind of resulted in, in their creativity that, you know, that, that resulted in what we know now as bluegrass music? But the welcome area is all about the, the, the sites of, of Rock Festival. And, and, uh, it's another thing I love about Romp is this festival that we produce. I mean, you'll see on this wall there, it's it's loaded with 
Bluegrass Hall of Fame members. It's it's uh, also has Chris Thiele and the Punch Brothers. It has up and coming bluegrass um, musicians. You have Old Crow Medicine Show and Rhiannon Giddens and infamous string dusters. So really this opening mural kind of celebrates just the diversity of bluegrass music today and the energy around that, which which I love that. That's exciting to me and, and uh, hopefully we're gonna be able to convey that throughout this building. So it's, it's much more space. I mean, if you've been to our current museum, this is not a recycling of the current museum. This is a start with a blank slate do over. So, um, which is exciting to me. So how much, I mean obviously a lot of thought went into this, but like who all was it, who all put in input and how much thought went into, because how often do you get the opportunity mm, to, right. you said, okay, Chris Joslin, you're gonna design your own museum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how did you guys decide how to make this work and what you're gonna put in it, how you're gonna design it? I mean, how, how much yeah. thought went into all that? It helps having a, an exhibit designer involved, and this is a great company out of Washington, D.C., uh, Healy Kohler and Associates. So they've taken this journey with a lot of people and a lot of diversity, like, you know, like the uh, you know, Civil War Museum in, in, in Pennsylvania or the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. So, you know, they are pros of not necessarily being subject matter experts, but being really adept at understanding the big picture quickly and helping to form the story and then generating ideas of how you might be able to interpret that story. So it helped kind of having a guide coach, if you will, with that process, but you know it was definitely members of our team and um, and then relationships we had with people outside of our team and even outside of Owensboro that that were involved heavily in some of those early conversations that really shaped the outline, the concepts. You know, that's everything from, you know, from, from book authors to historians on bluegrass music um, as well. But it was just, you know, it went through many, many, many revolutions of, of just what is the story that we want to tell and how can we interpret that? And then there was the added stage of what artifacts can we use? What images can we use? How do we want to put those together? It's been a, a fun process. I mean, I've learned a lot, but I mean, for a bluegrass nerd like me, once in a lifetime opportunity. What do you think, you, you know, people might find the most interesting, uh, whether it be a display or mm -hmm. whatever you got going on here? Um, you know, I, I, and, and I know sometimes you're looking for the wow factor, but mm -hmm. But somebody comes in here and says, wow, I didn't mm -hmm. realize they would have something like this. Yeah. Well, we've, we've talked about that a lot because we've tried to put ourselves in the shoe of a typical visitor. And, um, you know, if you're a bluegrass junkie like myself, you know, I want to see, um, see some great instruments. I want to see the tools of the trade, you know. And we're definitely going to have, have that. Um, if you're really uh, coming yeah, I know you had uh, mm -hmm. Uncle Uncle Penn's fiddle. Right? Mm -hmm. you, yeah. still, you still have that, right? Yeah, okay. Uncle Penn's fiddle. We have one of John Hartford's banjos, one of his fiddles. Um, we have a great um, a great piece, a, a bass, an upright bass that uh, that belonged to Bill Monroe. You know, back in those days, sometimes in the 40s and 50s, the band leader owned the bass, 
and uh, it was often strapped to the top of the car. And uh, so if you played bass in that band, you kind of played the house bass. Well, you know, what better artifact than to have Bill Monroe's bass? You know, a lot of people played that, and it was used on some great recordings. You know, if you're coming at it for more of uh, you're a history buff, then again, as you um, as you take in the sights and the sounds and the story that we're telling, um, again, we're trying to tell kind of the American story too. What was going on in our country during that time that may have influenced and impacted bluegrass positively or negatively. Um, you know, and if you're uh, you know if you're just a music fan but you don't know a lot about bluegrass um, hopefully you're going to get a, a really good overview of what is the story but also what is bluegrass now where where is it going um, but for everyone i'm hoping you know whether it's known pekelney's uh, official sculpture or the del mccurry bobblehead or bela flex flight of the cosmic hippo i hope you're going to see some things that are that are just a little quirky but interesting uh, that ties in well, not quirky for quirky's sake, but we want to have a little fun with how we tell the story too. I tell people when I try to describe what we do, I say, well, we are to bluegrass music what the Country Music Hall of Fame Museum is to country music, and uh, nowhere is that more underscored than when you're in this room. That's what this is all about. So have you guys plotted out, uh, obviously you're either going to be sitting on the ground or having lawn chairs there. Mm -hmm. If you get everybody in there elbow to elbow, how many folks will this hold? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. We're going to find out our first event is on October the 20th, Saturday, which is part of our grand opening weekend. So it's a day of free music, so I assume we're going to have a big crowd and Yonder Mountain String Band is headlining that. So. You know, probably what we'll do, this whole area will be fenced off, you know, for security purposes. Um, if it's a ticketed event, that'll be essential. But we're probably going to keep the parking lot clear as well. So really, we have this entire area. So we're hoping 12 to 1,500 folks, but we're going to have to test that and see. No permanent seating, so it definitely is festival style, like you would see at Romp or any other outdoor festival. You know, I can, I can see why... It made sense for some of the folks in this town to rally around bluegrass music because number one, it's it, it's there's some authenticity there because bluegrass music's roots really are in Kentucky, and when you trace it back to Bill Monroe, the roots are right here in this region. So, you know, it was the people and the place, the sights, sounds, the culture, everything that that kind of shaped this man in such a way creatively that resulted in this unique genre of music. So this is the source, really, of uh, Western Kentucky. But I can also see how partnering with the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum is really part of a larger economic strategy for the city of Owensboro, you know, having Smothers Park and the Riverwalk and the Convention Center and the new hotels and and the, uh, the River Park Center, and now we have O.Z. Tyler on the Bourbon Trail. But I think what, what uh, hopefully we bring to the table is some, uh, a differentiator, you know, because no other town, community, city, anywhere on planet Earth has Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum. So, you know, you take any, you pluck any of these things out on their own, and they're not a game changer, but you 
put all these things together um, and, and it really does create some momentum that, uh, that I think is going to be a, a game changer. Join us next week for part two as we talk with Chris Joslin about his background and how he became the executive director of the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum and he'll also talk about the grand opening of the museum in October. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Chris Joslin for joining me. And to send us questions or to provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, its mobile app, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire.